I'm Sunny. I'm Randy, and this is Bourbon Wine and True Crime, a podcast where three self-confident but unsure friends sit down once a week to drink together virtually and discuss true crime. Hello, ladies. Hello. I don't have imposter syndrome. You have an imposter syndrome. (laughs) Yeah, I do. (laughs) I was like, why why did you have to go there? Why do you have to expose my my deep, dark fears and insecurities to everyone? That's what what we do here. That's what we do. I would never... So I'm excited because I'm finally on brand with my my wine in my oh, witch's cup. I have wine. Look at this. In a witch's cup. I love it. What, what kind lots. of wine are you drinking? I'm drinking 19 crimes. Oh, even oh better. Oh my God. You're so on brand. Look at you. are back with a bang. What are you guys drinking? Sunny, I'm what su- are you having? I'm supremely not on brand for a multitude of reasons, like not on brand for us or me, <laughs> like <laughs> both don't fit. Um, I am drinking Flying Embers Hard Kombucha, and um, I will spare everyone how I feel about kombucha in general, but I do like hard kombucha just because of the taste. Tried some at a local place here, and I was like, ooh, so I don't know. It's kind of nice. 8.5, you know little 8.5 action so zero out of four stars what would you give it honestly I'd give it like a solid maybe like 3.2 to 3.4 that's pretty solid yeah it's good AJ what do you what do you what do you got going on I have my very pretty tumbler and it has some pinot grigio just a little iced pinot grigio because I'm white girl basic like that Mm. oh I like it (laughs) well uh, speaking of a uh, white girl basic or basically lack thereof, um, what are, what are we talking about? I have to tell you a story first. So recently, Pedro and I went to see Sunny in Las Vegas, right? Yeah, you did. <laughs> and I was dying to tell you the story the night we went to dinner, but we got distracted. We started getting ready and like, it just left my brain. And I was like, well, we were busy did- looking really hot and, you know, it's, it's a lot of effort to do. That. It's a lot, a lot of, a lot of brain power looking really hot. But I completely forgot to tell you about the, to- the horrible, 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 amazing thing that happened to me. So the first day we're in Vegas, we get to the hotel, we check in and everything. And it's still like pretty early afternoons. So we go down to the pool. It's maybe like 4 PM. And I have this like little over the shoulder, tiny, like carry purse. And we, we sit down next to the, one of the lazy rivers and then it's five o'clock and the lazy river closes. So we move over to the pool and we were going on this like really big fancy dinner that night. Like that was like our, our date night. And we get up to leave and the pool is closing and I'm like, where's my purse? No, no. And like the blood like leaves my face in this like pooling in my stomach and I'm like I'm about to throw my guts up and it's nowhere to be found it had my cell phone his cell phone his wallet my driver's license my credit card my debit card it had everything in this little teeny tiny purse and so we like I'm like having a meltdown but trying to keep it together you know Mm -hmm. and we we get up to the counter of the pool and I'm like I has anybody turned in a purse? It's a little tiny black leather. It has a hand painted, uh, a butterfly on the front. And, uh, he's like, he's looking around. He's like, no, you know, I'm so sorry, but there's no, no purse here. And like, I'm about to burst into tears. Like I'm like sweating profusely. I'm like sick to my stomach. I'm like, there goes our whole trip. Like everything was in that purse, like your stuff, my stuff, our identities, like everything, like like we might as well just go to the car right now. Um, and this woman, so I'm standing in front of the counter. Pedro is standing to my right. And this woman comes up like behind me and he can see her. So he's like turning his head and he's like watching her. And he's got this like look on his face. And she goes, did someone lose a purse? <gasps> and like oh. leans over me with this black little leather purse with like the hand-painted butterfly like and I had described it exactly to the attendant so like they knew like that was my purse like I think I lost my knees out from under me oh, <laughs> like oh, I hugged whoa. this complete stranger in bathing suits like oh I love you thank you so much like oh dude. Dude. 
I don't know how to explain that. I don't know how to like. How would you have even made it back home? I don't know. No phones, nothing. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. I've been dying oh. to tell you that story and I wanted Randy well, to hear it. And I was like, I, I just got to say, well, this. thank save this. goodness. I mean, there was the time that, um, do you remember when I had a purse that looks like an old sandwich? Oh, I, I do. do. Yes, I do. <laughs> That's a so very time, good description of it. It was, it was an old sandwich and I accidentally left it on the top of my car one time and I drove off. Well, you thought it was and, a sandwich, so. Well, I, it was a while before I realized what had happened. And fortunately, even though it was in this very public like area on the street, when I finally did find it, thank God, um, it looked like an old sandwich in the gutter. So like nobody had touched it. So, you know, the moral of the story is um, don't carry an old sandwich, carry an old sandwich, <laughs> that age old added, carry an old sandwich and your oh money will be safe. An old sandwich today keeps the thieves away. Well, so. AJ, I know that the topic today is very special and important to you and to me. And well, it really ties all three of us. It, it, it absolutely does. So I'm so what, glad you brought that up. What are, what are we talking about? We are going to be talking today about the desert killer who is, um, I would, I would say he's kind of a lesser known serial killer, but he's, he's pretty prolific and he is right here from our hometown of El Paso, Texas. So yeah, we're going to oh be gosh. discussing David Leonard Wood today. I am stoked that we get to talk about El Paso because that is, I mean, it is the, it is the birth of our friendship. It's the birthplace of all of our, it's very kids, special Chico town. I mean, um, so, uh, if, if you're okay with it, I have a couple things that I wanted to talk about, um, regarding El Paso and per Ooh. usual it's a charcuterie board of things that don't make a lot of sense together but when I was thinking about just things to share about El Paso these were sort of front of mind so when I'm, I just a, li- start I'm out- a little nervous I'm okay, gonna I be honest none of them they all all uh all innocents are protected in the fun facts about El Paso okay but we're going to start out with just some regular ones, just a couple, just a couple. Should a we tell everybody facts. that that's where we all met each other? I think well, we should say, I it, was, think, it was the yeah. birthplace of our friendship. It's the birthplace, but let's just be a little more clear. Like over a decade ago, that's where all three of us met each other at UTEP and, you know, through friendships and we all got connected through Sunny. And I think that's a very valid explanation, but yeah, it yes. all happened here in El Paso. So here's, here's a fun fact that I think is very relevant for us trying to get together. El Paso is the only major city in Texas that works on mountain standard time, confusing outsiders galore. Mm-hmm. So uh, you guys just had to be special. Confusing insiders. And pick too. a stupid, <laughs> stupid time zone. It confuses us all the time. Very confusing. <laughs> it's, not just, it's not just the outsiders. It's us Yeah, too. there's mountain daylight time, but no, no, no. just you. You went with Mountain Standard Time. Sure did. Um, also, if you're a person that enjoys more vitamin D than the average bear, which I do, it has usually on average over 300 days of sunshine per year, Ooh, which is awesome. It's terrible. And <laughs> while, it's, while it is currently nicknamed <laughs> the Sun City for that reason, it used to be known as the Six Shooter Capital. And that's partially because railroads were running through it back in the 1800s. And so it was a lot of, um, it was an area for a lot of Wild West newcomers. And it was a violent and wild boom town known as the six shooter capital because of its lawlessness. I believe that completely. Yeah, that tracks. Also, while there is a fight between El Paso and Juarez over um, this claim to fame, the tequila-based margarita may have been invented Mm. there. I have heard that, and I'm here for it. I will die on that hill. Yes. So uh, (laughs) one of our favorite drinks may have been invented there. And um, just random, which you would know if you're from there, there used to be live alligators kept in the downtown plaza. Unclear why. That was my very next question. Uh, unclear why, just they kept them there. 
And right now they do have lawless. They do have fiberglass alligators there now, but yes, Plaza. Yes, but Mm -hmm. they used to be live alligators. I Um, remember that when I was a little girl, like we would go down to San Jacinto and you could go to the water fountain and there were the live alligators at San Jacinto. I remember that's how old I am. I just outed myself. (laughs) Yeah. So they are not there any longer, but they were for quite a bit of time. Mm -hmm. And although I realize that we are technically out of spooky season right now, I think it is worth noting that there are a number of fairly uh, notorious haunted places in El Paso where if you're from there, you've been to these places more likely than not. A couple notable ones, Concordia Cemetery, supposedly haunted by the 60,000 people plus that are buried there, including the Buffalo Soldiers Mm -hmm. and quite a few Texas Rangers. Oh, I think Pat Garrett is also buried there and he uh, shot Billy the Kid. Yes. So lots of locally famous, semi-well-known people buried there. Southwestern locally Hospital. famous for sure. <laughs> locally famous. Yeah. Uh, Randy's South- looking at us like, huh? She's like, I don't I know. know who I that know is. who Billy the Kid is. And that <laughs> other the, name that, that you said. That one other guy. <laughs> totally. There is also Southwestern Hospital, which was used in a, as a sanatorium in 1905 for tuberculosis, and supposedly a nurse who preferred to take the elevator was pinned between two floors and died and also haunts it new fear unlocked thanks fun fun fact that's where i was born (gasps) southwestern hospital spooky from birth (laughs) we solved it it. you can like still drive up there and like look at the 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 building and my mom is always like you were born right in there right really there in between two floors on the Mm -hmm. elevator pinned (laughs) between uh so there's also plaza theater where one has seen many a musical there there are stories of a spirit that sits in the back row of the theater and then a girl who is seen giggling in the mezzanine absolutely and a a smoking man who reportedly sits on the balcony rumor has it that he's talked to staff and has been seen diving headfirst over the balcony oh that's cool who wants to go with me next time to the plaza theater if i hear a giggling child i am eating myself out of the nearest window (laughs) randy that was that was just the little ones nope don't uh -uh. i'm out i'm head out (laughs) i love the plaza theater there is also the DeSoto Hotel, where mm-hmm. people who have stayed there have claimed to be bitten, scratched, and touched while they're in the hotel. And people who have gone there ghost hunting claim they've picked up on the presence of a spirit in the basement. And of course, there is the, again, if you're from there, you know this, but the notorious El Paso High School. Yes. They have confirmed secret bricked-in passageways. And they're... it's semi-confirmed that there was a girl who jumped from the balcony to her death and that her ghost also haunts it. Um, I have heard weird things in the theater Mm -hmm. there and others have too. So a lot of activity going on there. And then one of my favorites, which when I tried this, it didn't work, but I have friends that claim that it did work on Thunderbird Drive. If you put your car in neutral Mm -hmm. and you sprinkle baby powder on the back part you will be pushed up the hill Mm -hmm. by phantom spirits and find handprints little child handprints on your trunk in the baby powder why would you why would you do that on purpose though we sure tried it didn't it didn't work (laughs) but uh the, the alternative story to that is that on thunderbird road a bus carrying small children like was in a horrific accident decades ago and it killed all of the occupants and so the little children start to help the vehicles up the road so that they don't meet the same fate oh and the desoto hotel burned down so that's really sad that's a really shitty afterlife just hang out on this railroad crossing and and push cars out of the way cars yeah um but yeah so thunderbird that's a i i lived near near ish there so that's those are those are some of the most haunted places and then the other part which and we're going to circle back to this a little bit later but if you are from El Paso you are familiar with things called El Pasoisms 
Oh, good. <laughs> one of them is a favorite one that um, AJ, you, you have a, a tie to this one, but I'm you. This is a rabbit hole you could go down forever. But I'm going to say a couple of my favorites. So, one of the classic ones that you'll hear is, "I'll tell you right now." Uh-huh. If somebody says, "I'll tell you right now," that means they're going to tell you later. <laughs> Or you're In- never going to hear it. <laughs> or you're never going to hear it. So enjoy El Paso. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, another word that people say is barely. And so yes. in normal context, you might say that, you know, the uh, phantom spirit was not quite visible. In fact, he was barely there. Uh, whereas they use it in the context of, in fact, I'm just going to link it to the last thing. I'll barely tell you right now. <laughs> Which means, or it barely happened right now, which means just, it just, it just just happened. happened. So barely, barely barely equals just. Mm. Um, Another accurate, that is so accurate. Another common too uh, is just using the word look it instead of look. So um, even when at wouldn't be part of the normal sentence, look it. And then, you you hear people say the word da instead of the but intentionally emphasizing it like mm-hmm. da club da the club it's so um another word that you will hear there is jumping balloon instead that's of bounce not, that's, house that's not normal uh yeah we'll see if you're from there which i thought jumping balloon was normal <laughs> apparently it's not uh jumping balloon <laughs> I'm just realizing that I only I only spent three years in El Paso and nine months of that I was in Afghanistan. So it's really two years and uh, three so months. So jumping balloon is not something that other people say. I'm just here keeping one. And then uh, my last one, my favorite one. So if you tell a waitress, I would like a Coke, she will uh-huh. ask you the question, what kind? Yes. What kind and of And that Coke? is because... Coke equals literally any soda. Yes, at all. It does. It does. So you and could then, be wanting a Sprite. Yes, but yes, yes. So Sprite is Coke. You could Pepsi be wanting a Pepsi. Coke. Everything. Mm-hmm. So um, the the few times that we have been out and AJ has said, you know, I'd like a Coke. They say what kind? She says Coke. <laughs> and yes. then they say, is Pepsi okay? And then she says, is Monopoly money okay? <laughs> Pepsi and Coke are not the same. Pepsi and Thank you. All things are Coke. So everything's Coke. And um, I have something for at the end of this that will tie back to El Pasoisms that is going to make us, you're either going to love it or hate it. But in the meantime, that's what I have as an introduction to the weird world of El Paso. And I'm I very love excited it. for the case. I am here for it. I loved it. Cheers, ladies. Everybody take a sip. Cheers. 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 Oh my goodness. That was awesome. Charcuterie board of all times. That was the charcuterie board. Da charcuterie board. This reminds me of from Chicago. They say da bears. I loved every second of that instead of the bears. I was just here for it. I'm just vibing. (laughs) I love it. Well, let's let's dive into the monster who is the desert killer. Take um, us away. David Leonard Wood. Okay. Oh, another David. Another David. So, so many. David Leonard Wood was born on June 20th, 1957 in San Angelo, Texas. The second of four children. In the 1960s, his father, Leo, moved the family to El Paso. So now he's like early, he's like three, four years old. And they moved to El, pa- El-, moved to El Paso, where he held an executive position with the El Paso Electric Company. While the family was considered well off, their private life was troublesome. So you have this typical kind of Americana family. Dad's working full time. Mom stay at home. They have four children. Um, you know, it's very idyllic. But at home, it just... Uh, was the complete opposite. Hey, AJ. Um, his, yes. So you probably already know this, but do you want to guess his zodiac sign? Let me see. June 20th. He is a Gemini. Yep. Which tracks with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. 
a lot of duality. Yes. Um, okay. So uh, early 1960s, Woods, uh, David Wood had, his mother was Betty, um, and she started to show signs of mental illness. When would you have four kids? I mean, why not? That's fair. That's fair. It's called motherhood. Um, so, uh, Betty began to argue frequently with her husband and it was so much so that they began to just like ignore their kids completely. Hmm. So by the mid 1960s, um, Betty Wood was committed to a psychiatric hospital for six months where she was treated via electroconvulsive therapy. Uh, Our favorite. That's exactly what it sounds like. So his mother was treated via electroconvulsive therapy. All right. So while she she was allowed to return home after her release. She was prescribed drugs that she would later begin abusing, further deteriorating her mental health. So due to the numerous problems between them, Wood's parents paid little no or no attention to their children. And David and his siblings were sent off to live with relatives in Chaparral, New Mexico, which is not that far away from El Paso. It's, nope. it's very, very, it's, a, it's in very close proximity. Um, but unfortunately, they were also sent from relatives to various and assorted foster homes. So they bounced back between foster homes, relatives, and then um, right back to their parents. So when David was 13 in 1970, that's when his parents divorced. Um, but they remarried because <laughs> they're such a great match in 1971. Right. But divorced again in 1975. So that's, you know, a little bit of history about his parents. So Wood from an early age was described as nervous and hyperactive. I mean, same. Um, so much so that he was admitted to a hospital and given medical treatment due to which he had to repeat the first grade of school. Eventually he lost all interest in school and due to his failing grades and truancy, he had to repeat the third grade and ninth grade. So if we do the math, a lot of this does um, chronologically kind of line up with when his parents were going through the most, most turmoil and his dad would uh, focus his anger on David, uh, often beating him with a paddle when he misbehaved and not only when he misbehaved, but when he didn't misbehave. So he was getting a lot of the anger from his dad in these time frames. So uh, first grade, third grade, ninth grade. So does that mean he was what, 17 going into the ninth grade? As a freshman. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's 16, rough. 17 years old. Yeah. And I have, I have some of those in my freshman classes. And I mean, as a teacher and a student, it's, it's, um, it's difficult. So, yeah. So he had to repeat the third and ninth grade by his own admission. He had claimed that he began feeling sexual attraction towards girls at an early age and even lost his virginity at age 12. So that's, that's a seventh not grader. that uncommon, especially that's in El Paso. That's a seventh grader. That's it's yeah. not. Un, uh, yeah, it's just it, very alarming. Was it yeah. common back then that young in the 70s? I just, I just don't think it was talked about personally. That's fair. Because you know, a lot was going down. Yeah. I, I, I can tell you. Yeah, I don't think it was anything. You know, we're not new in this generation on exploring like early sexuality, but I just don't think it was talked about as much. So, yeah, I think it happened a lot. Yeah. So by the early 1970s, um, Wood began spending most of his free time outdoors during which he developed an addiction to alcohol and drugs. So we have a developing brain who's now engaging with drugs and alcohol and his frontal lobe is like not cooked. Yeah. So in 1974, at the age of 17, he quit Parkland high school after the ninth grade and attempted to enlist in the army, but he was rejected. What? For what? It, I could not find out why. That is wild. Did he show up naked for the interview? Like, Well, I mean, I don't know much, but he, it's the seventies. He's a high school dropout with a ninth grade education and he's 17. I think we're going to get into it a little bit later and we can speculate wildly, but I don't think that we can come to a conclusion as to why he was rejected, but it will come up a little bit later. Okay. Okay. Um, so he tried to enlist in the army, but he was rejected. And because of this, uh, Wood had to resort to manual labor and odd jobs uh, to make a living for a few years. So this is the mid 1970s. So now we're looking at August, 1976. So he would have been 19 years old. Mm -hmm. So he was arrested on charges of indecent exposure and 
sexual harassment of an underage girl for which he was convicted the following year, so 1977, and given a five-year prison sentence. Ask me how long he served. Mm, a year. No. Less? No. He served two, two years. Fucking scumbag. So, underage girl, indecent exposure, given five years, only serves two, and he was granted parole and was released on December 28th, 1978. In March, 1980, he committed two rapes eight days apart. In the first incident, he raped a 19-year-old female acquaintance. And in the second, he raped a 13-year-old girl whom he did not know. Ew. Okay, so he was found guilty and given a new 20-year sentence. Uh-huh. That's it? But during his, that's it, 20 years. During his incarceration, Wood developed a reputation as a model inmate and went uh, and underwent several sex offender rehabilitation programs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. After serving only six years of his sentence, I was choked to my wine. Are you fucking kidding me? Six, six of a 20 for raping a child two girls in eight days. <sighs> One as a child. Both are children, if we want to argue correctly but one is definitely a child so he gets paroled because he went through sex rehab um sexual sex sex offender rehab program sexual sex sex rehab sexual sex sex yeah all the sex sexy (laughs) (laughs) okay So after serving only six years of his sentence, Wood was again granted parole and released on January 14th, 1987. I was six. Whereupon he returned to El Paso. So he'd served this time in uh, New Mexico, goes back to El Paso. Shortly afterwards, he finds a job at a furniture store, but he occasionally moonlighted as a laborer and auto mechanic. In his spare time, Wood frequented frequented various bars and nightclubs favoring those with topless dancers. Shocking. Those poor mm. women. Not disparaging those women. Like, no, I just, you know, just him, him, being, yeah, him we were, being weird and creepy and gross. We were just talking about that today at work, and I don't know how I got on the topic. We were talking about sex workers, and I was just like, they need to get more things because I couldn't... I couldn't imagine doing a job like that where you're letting people that you're maybe like, just like, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to say too much and like act like I'm coming across as like distant sex workers, but props to those people because I got to, I got to know somebody for like a year before I want to let them touch me. Like the whole yeah, topless- but they, they just need like safe. They just need safe, like safety parameters. They need safety and they need healthcare. Exactly. They need, they need to be safe. They need to be trusted. They need to be listened to. You know, like, why is that so much to ask for, you know? And that's when it becomes survival work is it's like, even though this is the most thing I hate, but if it's going to feed me today and it might feed my child, then this is what I'm going to do to survive. Regardless if it puts me in the complete position where I'm uncomfortable, but not even, however, as we're going to see, like, he's a big fat liar. I hate him already. Okay, sorry. You're allowed. You're definitely allowed to. Our mental health is not our fault, but it is our responsibility. Correct. Okay. So what blew this whole thing up? Like, why are we even talking about him? What was the bombshell that really cracked open who David Leonard Wood is? So here, here's where the the life starts to unravel for him. So he's out on parole. He's he's released in January, 1987. So a woman testifies in July, 1987. So same year he's out on parole that she had been walking outside of a convenience store in the Northeast El Paso. When a man identified as David Wood and matching his description asked if she needed a ride, the woman accepted his offer but Wood did not take her home as directed. Instead, he stopped at an apartment complex and went inside. When he returned, a piece of rope was hanging out of one of his pockets. Wood drove northeast of town toward the desert. After driving around the area for a period of time, he stopped the truck, 
got out and ordered the woman out as well. He explained to her that there was a shipment of cocaine buried there and he had to get it. What the fuck? He had to stop the truck. He got out and he told her to exit. She saw him get out a, quote, brownish red blanket and shovel from the back of his truck. After tying the woman to the front of his truck with a rope, so now she's like hogtied to the, the grill of his truck, Wood proceeded to dig a hole behind some bushes. So she's awake, she's aware, and she understands that he's digging a grave. So 10 or 15 minutes later, he returned with a blanket and began ripping her clothes off and forcing her to the ground. While he's doing this, he thinks that he can hear voices a little in the distance and he orders the woman back in the truck. So he like abandons that area and he gets her back in the truck and he drove to a different location in the desert where he stopped his truck, ordered her to get out again, tied her to a bush and raped her. Immediately afterwards, Wood stated again that he heard voices and hastily threw his belongings back into the truck and drove away, leaving the woman naked in the desert. But before he left, he turned and he looked at her and this is the report was that he told her, I'm out there. And if you tell anybody, I'll come and find you. And you know, I'm out there. So he leaves her with like a final warning. So she, she's able to, um, get herself free and get to safety. And then she reports it after that. Okay. That's a bad bitch for reporting it though. That is a bad bitch, man. Oh my God. Like, yeah. Thank God he was either hearing voices or there were actually voices. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So about a month and a half later, the woman called police. So she finally gets like the courage to call and and report it on September 22nd, 1987. She directed them to a scene of the rape in the desert. She also directed them to the area where Wood had done some digging. So she takes them to both locations, the, the initial place where he did digging and the second location where he threw her back in the, or he, he got back in the truck and left. Um, so this is the location where he was digging, where other bodies were located. So the police officers are looking at this location and this is where she reported it. But let me back up a little bit. So that was her experience, right? And she takes the cops to this place where, uh, David Leonard Wood had done the digging, But if we go back to just August 1987, um, workers for the El Paso Electric Company, no, I'm sorry, El Paso Water Utilities were out in that same um, Northeast area. So it's McCombs and Dyer. Very familiar. Very familiar. Like that's a very trafficked place now. Um, And it it goes very, it like there, it, it like goes out. And so it was very much like in the upper region where there's a lot of desert So these, in August, 1987, these water utility workers are going out there and in a very shallow grave, there's some remains sticking out and immediately they call 911, they call the police to come out there. And in August, 1987, there's two bodies found. There's two sets of remains. So that's where we're gonna pick up our story. So police were called to the crime scene and while investigating the area with canine units accidentally discovered another set of human remains about 100 meters away in another shallow grave. So the first set of remains um, were discovered and then there's a second set of remains and this is all separate of the girl that was raped and tied up. All right, so the first set of remains, so when the water utilities workers went out there, the first set of remains were determined later to be um, of a missing girl named Rosa Maria Casso. Casio, sorry, my apologies. Rosa Maria Casio. So both sets of remains were ultimately identified by family members via their clothing and personal items found at the crime scene. Casio's cause of death was tentatively ruled as strangulation because her jaw had been broken in two places. The other set of remains were later identified as Karen Baker and Karen Baker's cause of death could not be determined by her body's advanced state of decomposition. So investigators um, speculated that her remains had been out there three to six months earlier than Casio's. So she was buried first and then Casio. So Karen Baker's um, remains were identified. Karen Baker had three small children at the time of her death. 
Um, she was 20 years old and she was described as having a troubled past, but seemed to be starting over and had enrolled in beauty school and was concentrating on her children. Mm-hmm. She disappeared in June of 1987. Rosa Maria Casio, she was only 20. She was a waitress and topless dancer in Addison, Texas, but she had planned to re-enroll at Brookhaven Community College and she was visiting her sister in El Paso when she disappeared in August of 1987. He was released so, in 87, correct? Yes. In, uh, oh yeah. my God. Oh. So we're, we're bouncing on dates just a little bit, but I think we can follow because it's just like within months of each other. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, um, Cassio was the, the waitress and she disappeared visiting her sister. Okay. So in October, on October 20th, 1987, there were some hikers in that same area and they accidentally discovered the remains of another, uh, human. And they even stumbled onto another set. And so these two sets of remains, um, later became, identified as a uh, 14-year-old Desiree Wheatley and Don Marie Smith, and both of whom were also in bar- buried in shallow graves close to one another, about 1.5 kilometers away from those of Cassio and Baker. So what we will have for our listeners, um, obviously, who may not be acquainted with El Paso geography, I'll have a map of the area for El Paso where these um, remains were located, as well as um, um, pictures and information on the victims. Okay. So Don Marie Smith and Desiree Wheatley are both located very close proximity to Costio and Baker in very similar fashions. They were all face down, shallow graves, seen. Like, bro, have you not heard? It's literally area. called six feet under. Like, this is yeah. just a thing that all of us know. Six feet. It's called six feet. Six so feet down. Was, six feet well, down. there was a theory that he was kind of creating his own like community and that he was burying them in pairs so that they would never have to be be alone. Sounds great. He was burying them face down so that they wouldn't look at him. I was going to say face down for me is somehow makes it worse. I personally think that this individual is just a monster and I don't think that he had any real deep thought about how or why he was burying them the way he did. I think that there was an MO of quick, easy, bury them, done, throw them Not, not any thought. I don't think yeah. that there was any deep thought or connection to that, but I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a medical doctor. <laughs> I don't know, but I think he's just- That's nothing I can do. That's nothing I could do. Hashtag that's nothing I could do. <laughs> So Desiree Wheatley, she was identified because she was wearing a very specific t-shirt. Um, she w- it was the very last days of school and she had worn this t-shirt so that all of her friends and classmates could sign it. And she was very excited about that. So after school, her and her friends um, hung out a little bit and then they went to a convenience store and Desiree was seen wearing her t-shirt and it was signed by all of her friends and classmates. And the convenience store clerk had observed the young lady and a weird looking Caucasian male in the convenience store kind of gawking her. What other kind of males are in convenience stores other than I can't think of any. (laughs) That's the only kind, honestly. That's it. And he was described as being like um lots of tattoos, kind of scruffy looking, tall, Caucasian. Heavy breathing near the weird. Yeah, it gave everybody kind of like this weird vibe, right? Just like, uh. um, and yeah, so the, the, the convenience store clerk observed this. And when her remains were discovered, when the police called her mother, her mother identified that shirt that all of her classmates had signed. Um, the last I followed up, just to talk a little bit about, more about Desiree, her mom was still living in El Paso and still advocating for missing, abducted, and abused children. So she was trying to carry on Desiree's memory and, and doing a, a, a very valiant job of it. So sweet little, sweet little baby Desiree. She Aww. was just a child. Okay. All right. So as for Don Marie Smith, the other set of remains that was found with Desiree, she was only 14 when she ran away in June of 1987. She turns 15 and she makes contact 
she made, remains in contact with her family until August when all communications stopped. She was reported missing in September and her remains were also found by those hikers on October 20th. So investigators now have these two stories. They have the rape victim who has reported where she was raped and the um, police offers to take her over there and they find human remains. And then we have the water utilities worker who goes out, finds human remains and finds two more graves. So now we have four confirmed victims um, and one rape victim Mm -hmm. after he's been paroled. So the police understand that there might be more like this is this is an issue like this is a serial killer that we have did they know right off the bat that it was probably the same person responsible it took them a little while because you know it's the 80s yeah you know we don't have like integrated systems but it's still just all el paso it's still you know we have this rape victim in this location and these two victims same thing so they at that point they're like we we think we have something here Mm -hmm. um and the technique back then in el paso at least was the investigators um, and detectives and police they went out to that area and they would take these long like um spikes and put them in the ground and then when they took them out of the ground they would smell the end of it and if it smelled like decomp they knew that they would have a body in that area love that Love yeah. that for us. So to, when I, I, and I'm sorry, like this might be me being a mom of boys, but it's almost like, it's not yep. my finger. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's, yeah. Well, I don't know if, you, okay. When you guys are doing laundry, do you just sort of randomly do the smell test without thinking about it too much? Yes, I do. Okay. I, do that, I do that when I'm getting dressed in the morning. Like later. Yeah. No, it's still good yeah that's your <laughs> laundry for three days it's fine that's yeah that's true. your laundry that's no one else's but like when you have teenage boys you do you do that on accident and you're like Hur? yep yeah that no you never do the random smell my finger never you never smell the finger you never smell the finger uh quick anecdote just on the side my oldest you two know who he is about 12 years ago he was 12 years ago blah 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 he was like let's see um 12, six, seven, seven, seven years old, six, seven. Yep. He like contortions himself to bring his like foot up to his nose and smells his own foot and then goes, and we're in the car. He's in the passenger seat. I'm driving Mm -hmm. a stick shift and he's like, smell my foot. And before I can even say like, no, (laughs) I have a shoved large toe up my nose. And I'm like, I have had this happen recently. This is a recent occurrence. So I yep. never smell their feet. No, nope. <laughs> it's a bad call. It's a bad call. Picture Voluntarily. Or <laughs> You're just, no. Yeah. Like I, I would imagine that the smell is similar to what they were doing with the spikes. It's a similar it smell. It's a similar it's experience. I've never smelled a dead body, but if I were to smell one, I would imagine that it would smell this is going to sound weird because I've smelled a lot of them, um, but it wasn't, it's not in a weird context. <laughs> you might Nothing. have to explain that. You might have to explain that at some point, but not right now. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll just say that it was, there was a very legitimate reason why I was around decomposing bodies. So, yes. yes. Oh, that, that's the end. Oh, that oh, I, I think I, I like, I like the little hook of mystery. No, I worked out of the medical examiner's office for a little while. So, um, it's just that's important. To, I think that's important, it's important information. information. <laughs> Sunny's just like, not to be weird. Um, I, just, I smelled not, a lot of dead bodies we've and lost that was all the, of our listeners, right? That now. was the end and of I'm, the sentence I, and the story. I know. I'm, well, I'm not over here like, Ah, like no, I just it's there's a professional context. It, it makes it seem weird. You're like, okay, not to be weird. I smelled a lot of dead bodies. That's not weird. Okay, okay, AJ, continue on. Anyway, continue on. We know you. They don't pro- know you. There's a legitimate professional reason why it's just. They're like, what are you a mob boss? Are you a? Are you a hitman? Like. Those no, in, me, in a very professional and respectful fashion. It's just that it's part of you had just part of being at the medical examiner's <gasps> office you had to a lot of dead bodies there's nothing you could do there's, there's nothing, nothing I, could I could do nothing I could do I live in Staten Island he lives in New Jersey I don't know what 
<laughs> hey, again, very respectful context for there's just there's there's an aroma. We're human beings. It's just part yeah. of it. It's okay. I'll never look right. at the word aroma again. Aroma. I, nope. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so beyond the spikes, beyond the spikes. Okay. They sniff the spikes. All right. So after re-interviewing witnesses to the, the various girls' disappearances, investigators learned that Cassio had been seen in the company of Wood shortly before she vanished. Charles Lloyd, who was a witness in the Baker case, told them that Wood knew the victim and often gave her rides on his motorcycle. On the day of her disappearance, Baker had gotten into a beige pickup truck that closely matched Wood's own vehicle. So he had a motorcycle and a beige truck. Friends and acquaintances of Smith also testified that she knew Wood and they repeated Baker gotten Baker had gotten into a beige pickup truck that closely matched Wood's own vehicle. Friends and acquaintances of Smith also testified that she knew Wood as they had repeatedly suggested that she got out based on the fact that he had kidnapped and raped judy brown in october of 1987 he pleaded not guilty however as we previously discussed disgusted discussed i was disgusted yes i was disgusted i've been disgusted um other uh two more shallow graves were discovered not far from where wheatley and smith had been found so one of the victims had been identified as angelica frausto so Angelica was 17, and she had been a chronic one runaway since the age of 12. At 15, she quit Henderson Middle School, where she was enrolled in a program for students who struggled with behavior. I had to reword that sentence because the initial like description of that was not okay. not great. It was not great. So she struggled with behavior. We don't know why, but she did. She was finally reported missing in September of 1987, and her body was found November 3rd, 1987. On March 14th, 1988, a couple searching for aluminum cars in the desert stumbled upon a uh, partially buried remains of a woman located only a few hundred meters away from the other victims had been found. Based on the comparison of x-rays and the jaw, the woman was identified as 23-year-old Ivy Susanna Williams, a Colorado native who had moved to El Paso after getting married. Williams, who had a record for prostitution and drug possession, was last seen on May 30th, but her disappearance was not reported by either her friends or her family. During interviews with interviews with acquaintances, Police determined that she had worked at a, as a dancer at a club and was affiliated with members of a biker subculture. So just like a little footnote, when he went to prison the second time, he quickly became um, part of the biker club culture in prison. And I think that was a way to like protect himself mm-hmm. so that when he got yeah. out, he was still very much part of this like biker, col- biker club culture. So Real- he had this bike. Real quick, AJ. Um, I just want to say, you said that she had issues with drugs and things like that. I know before I had intimate experience of what it is like to deal with somebody who is a drug addict, uh, I always would want to judge, you know, why wouldn't you report them missing right away? It is so hard whenever you're dealing with somebody that does have that affliction because you just regularly lose track of them for weeks. And then they just pop yeah. back up and they're, I'm clean now for good. I promise. So don't throw shade. It's, it's hard. Not us. No. Not us. It's hard. No. Yeah. I'll, I'll it's tell you. And it was the, it, it's the eighties. And it's like, like, like you're saying, you, you lose track of those people. And so it's not their fault for not reporting them, but she just ultimately was not reported missing by, by anybody. That's so sad. It, and that's ultimately what it is. It's just very heartbreaking that that was the, you know, the circumstances. So the coroner's report also found that Williams had been stabbed multiple times, including to the face, as she was found in the area that had previously been searched. The El Paso department resumed an operation to locate more potential burial sites. So at this point, they, they're looking for, no, for more um, potential areas, but they, they don't come up with anything new. And it wasn't until June of 16, June 16th, 1988, that Wood was found guilty of kidnapping and raping Judy Brown. As this violated conditions of conditions of his parole because he had been jailed previously, it was considered an aggravating factor, which resulted in a total of 50 years imprisonment. 
After his arrest, Wood was placed in county jail, where a number of inmates claimed that he boasted of his crimes, describing the victims as topless dancers and prostitutes whom he had lured into his truck with the offer of sharing drugs, but instead drove them to the desert, tied them to his truck, then raped and killed them before burying their bodies in shallow graves near the road. So awful. Eventually, based on highly circumstantial evidence and not entirely reliable information, um, the El Paso County District's office charged Wood with the murders of Williams, Wheatley, Baker, Frausto, Calcio, and Smith. So what does this mean? This means that they had a, a very strong circumstantial case, but there wasn't very credible physical evidence just yet. So as a sort of side note, certainly not a footnote and certainly something to explore later. There were three other disappearances that occurred within this very specific chronology mm -hmm. um, that fit the MO, that fit the descriptor of David Leonard Wood. So the mm. following, the bodies of Marjorie Knox, 14, Cheryl Lynn Vasquez Dismucus, 19, and Melissa Alanis, 13, were never found and their fate remains unknown. Oh. But Wood remains the sole suspect in their respective cases. And even as of today, that is still the case. All right. Wow. So that's, so now we're up to nine, a possible nine for sure six that he's being charged with. In November, 1992, based on the testimony of Judy Brown, the inmates at the county jail and the results of the exhumation of the lint found in the vacuum cleaner. So let me, this is new information. So at the time, Wood had a girlfriend. And in some um, newspaper articles, I've also seen her listed as like his roommate, but not his girlfriend. So some kind of something. I think, he, I, think, I think he called her his girlfriend and I think she called herself a roommate. Oh, there it is. I think that there's mm. the, the, the distinction. Mm. So during this time frame, she tells investigators that she mm. saw David like doing an extensive cleaning on his car and his truck. Um, that's another thing like when you say car in El Paso it really could mean van truck it could mean many things it could mean many things it's like do you have a do you ever drive a car yeah what kind of Ford Ford what you know it just could go on it's it's um, the coke equivalent it's yeah. fine so his roommate slash girlfriend slash neither of the above um testifies that he used a vacuum cleaner to uh clean out his his truck and um, investigators seized that material and, and analyzed it, but that, that might be problematic later. Okay. So eventually Wood was convicted of the six murders by a jury verdict and was officially sentenced to death on January 14th, 1993. So I say that as kind of like a M night Shyamalan twist, like there's the end, but let me take you a little bit further back. Okay. If you were going to say he got out but again, wait, I was going to throw more. my computer. Let me, let me just take you a little bit back. Like we gave him two so, months and then he, and then he got out again. And he was due a model. To the, the model prisoner. He's so great. Um, the extensive media coverage that this case uh, generated prompted defense attorneys to um, make sure that the case was not seen in El Paso, but was seen somewhere else. So eventually the, the case is moved to Fort Worth instead of El Paso. Mm -hmm. um, they go to trial. The rape victim is brought to the stand as well as other character witnesses or non-character witnesses, I should say. Um, and one of those was of one of the earlier victims um, that they had gone to a club. And in, in David Wood's own testimony, he's like, the girls loved me. Like, I still keep in contact with them. Like, what? they think I'm so great. Um, like, they love me. But witnesses to many of his um, coming and goings were like, this is, he's creepy. He's, um, He's crazy. Like he just doesn't look right. He has and a neck beard. Oh, 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 yeah. So in his mind, he's like God's gift, but in reality, and all the witnesses, they're like, mm -mm. totes, totes not. 
those women were also literally doing their jobs by or going to yep. school or going, going to school or existing existing, existing. They, were, they were going to class they were walking home from school oh god he is they were existing. they all loved me they thought it was so mm-hmm. great shut up you worthless piece of shit where's a lot of axe so he denies <laughs> he yeah he mean like, i didn't i didn't kill these women it Phoenix. wasn't me so he's convicted of all six murders he's given the death penalty um wait what this, year was this this was 1992 1993 okay if you said yeah. 70 i'm sorry i had a seizure 1993 um he was given the death the, the death sentence um what were what year are we in right like right now right now 2022 there's no way to know there's nothing i can do there's nothing I, there's we're no, all in a simulator i i don't know all in a 3d model i don't know there's time no way a, to be able to confirm or deny mm-hmm. what what year it is are you gonna give us you're gonna you're gonna say and then he was killed in prison justice via yay, machete yay happy ending right that's what you're gonna that, that's not your with say. a board with nails in it since his conviction Wood has continued to insist on his innocence. And with the help of his attorneys, he has filed several appeals, thankfully, all of which has been denied thus far. His original execution date was scheduled for August 20th, 2009, but the day prior to that, it was postponed thanks to yet another legal appeal filed by his lawyers who claimed that their client showed signs of mental illness so if you're Mm. familiar with the death penalty you cannot put a person to death who suffers from mental illness so since an early time when he was younger his iq was measured below that of a normal iq range which iq is just not even a relative uh unit of measure yeah as it it never was it never will be nope but at the time, that's what they were basing it on. And, and they were like banking on that. They were like, see, he's he's got a lower mental, he's got a lower IQ, he's mentally ill, you cannot put him to death. So now we are at uh, his legal defense and prosecution reviewing the legal document. The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals ruled that the forensic psychiatric findings were questionable. And the psychologist's method for assist, assessing Wood's adaptive functioning were not thorough or thorough or reliable. Thusly, the court ruled that Wood was Wood and his attorneys had failed to pr- pr- produce clear evidence of his alleged intellectual impairment. So he was given a series of IQ tests, and he scored all sorts of in the ranges of like 111 to like 62. Mm. Like he he like ping ponged all over the place. So he was rejected. So in subsequent years, no new execution date had been set. And Wood's lawyers filed another appeal in 2016 to have his sentence overturned and a new trial scheduled. They have also petitioned for a DNA test, claiming that that this would prove their client's innocence. In addition, they they demanded that documents concerning two acquaintances of Wood's, um, the cellmates that he had back in the 80s, that they be unsealed and considered those uh, people as being alternative suspects in the killing. So at that time, we're in 2016 now, the El Paso County Attorney General's office provided um, one of the shirts of Don Smith, the little girl who had got her shirt signed and it had DNA on it. So that DNA was then submitted um, as well as the DNA DNA tests for um, Angelica Frausto's pantyhose jacket and pieces of her hair um, as well as Desiree Wheatley's hair and bloodstained knife found among Wood's personal possessions. So prosecutors believe that they could use this in the murder, that he had used this also in the murder of Ivy Williams. Mm-hmm. So they submit all of this evidence for DNA testing, but all of that evidence comes back as inconclusive. I could see solid. And if- that could be for various reasons. Contamination. It's old. Denature. I could... I would be on board if he hadn't, if that, that woman, that survivor hadn't come forward and been like, mm-hmm. this dude literally tried to kill me. Cause everything it's, it's very circumstantial. Like, sure. You said you did it, but people say that all the time to get 
you know, some kind of credit in, you know, prison to maybe not be so much of a target. But bro, you tried to kill a woman and she got in the same spot. Same spot. They found bodies in that spot. However, circumstantial. And you admitted to it. Mm -hmm. Those poor families have to, I feel so bad that like this is the killer and then it gets drug out for decades. For decades. Mm -hmm. Appeal after appeal. Thankfully, he's still on death row at that point. Mm -hmm. So in the end, the results of the DNA tests proved inconclusive, resulting in in the dismissal of Wood's appeal. So they dismissed him. They're like, yeah, this this doesn't prove one way or the other. Mm -hmm. We're not going to listen to you. So as of March 2022, he remains on death row at the Allen B. Polunsky unit in West Livingston awaiting execution. He's still alive. On March 17th, 2022, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton filed a motion requesting an execution date of March 15th, 2023 be set for wood. Has it been set? So, yeah, it's been set. 2023, okay. March 15th. I, um, I will be tracking this. I will be staying on top of this. Um, and for our listeners, Oxygen put out a, an incredible episode on this, uh, on this case, uh, Mark of a Killer. And it's really, really good. I, I, I would say watch it. It's really good. And he's, he's in our El Paso backyard. And that's like, you know, I was mm-hmm. a little girl at this time. It's, yeah. you know, you, you recognize these like geographical areas and kind of you know it's something so we're gonna gonna follow up on this on march 16th 2023 and uh wow that looks like so he's been on death row longer than his victims were alive yep yeah hopefully it's some small comfort to the the women that had to experience him existing and his victims' families that he's not getting out. Yeah. He, 20 years and he did six. How many lives would that have saved? Yeah. At least six. At maybe least nine. Six. Maybe nine. Maybe more. I always, I'm like always in the camp of like whatever we have found and whatever we think, there's probably more. There's always more. There's got to be more. He started immediately after he got out yeah. of jail the first time. Yeah. And the desert is vast, especially it's around there. Huge. So, well, so um, that's David Leonard Wood, y'all. And he's still okay. alive. Well, Let's, okay. So we're going to, we're going to end it with the shit yes. sandwich because that was a bummer. And I, and you promised gonna, us. I promised. I promised. So to end the shit sandwich, I would recommend you to visit El Paso and to visit one of the amazing landmarks there. Do you like gum? (laughs) Do you like water slides? (laughs) If so, have I got a place for you to visit? Please go to Wet n Wild, where not only will you see the Virgin of Guadalupe tattooed on at least 50% of the people's backs there, but you will also be able to walk through an amazing archway full of historical remnants coming from the chomping mouths of many El Pasoans. So I, I highly recommend you to not only try out El Pasoisms for yourself, but to uh, visit one of our many amazing landmarks there. Guys, what's the, the name of the, what's the name of the taco place we go to that serves you margaritas after the bars close? Oh, not Chico's Tacos. No, it wasn't Chico's. Carlos and Mickey's? Mm-mm. It was a fast food taco place. Taco oh, you're talking about Taco, taco Cabana. Cabana. Taco Cabana. Taco Cabana. Oh, yeah. Margarita. You go to awesome... two places when you are at like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. You go to Whataburger and you go to Taco Cabana. Oh, That's but it. Taco Cabana has that salsa bar. You get a margarita at mm-hmm. 5 a.m. And there are fresh tortillas. Yum. Oh, my God. The fresh tortillas. You see them making them. Mm-hmm. But El Paso, it's one of those places where unless you live there, you're like, why would I visit? And then when you live there, you're like, oh, my God. It the is. Then you, want to, then you want a tattoo La Virgen de Guadalupe on your back. You're like, yes, you do. Yeah. El Paso is you so really underrated. Do. It's so underrated. It's such a great place to be. 
but not if you're a victim of David Leonard Wood. But yes. not if you're a victim of David Leonard Wood. And it really sucks. Otherwise, zero out of 10. Zero out of 10 would not recommend. Well, if you would like to follow us on social media, you can simply search us on Instagram or Facebook at Bourbon Wine and True Crime. And you can also send us an email telling us how much you love the podcast at Bourbon Wine and True Crime at yahoo.com. And please leave us a five-star review. Anything below five stars, you can just keep those opinions to yourself. Please like, subscribe, and comment below. We would appreciate it. And until next time, bye. bye. Love you. Bye now. There's nothing I could do. Nothing, nothing I could do. Nothing I could do.